The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot. We are the Hollow Men. We are the stuffed men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw, alas. Our dry voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry grass, or rats' feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shape without color. Paralyzed force, gesture, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom, remember us, if at all, not as lost, violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. <laughs> Mind Maddie sneeze. <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> Maddie, shut up. of the hollow men it's about trying to find meaning in life about how everybody is kind of dull together and growing together <laughs> with almost as like a scarecrow like as as stated headpiece filled with straw alas our voices dry together we whisper together it's almost like they're talking about a cult there's like no personality between anybody or uniformity now we open to discussion. Why would you say it's sort of like a cult? The dude's religious. Well, in the beginning of the poem, it doesn't like talk about religion or it anything. It doesn't like specify that he's religious, so you never know like what you he's talking that. about as being hollow. Like as being hollow, he could be talking about a lack of God and Christianity, or he could be talking about a lack of what makes people people, like a social bond or that kind of thing. True. I guess I didn't take it like that. Yeah, I feel like when he says that we are the hollow men, we are the stuffed men, even though it's sort of opposite, I feel like altogether it means like we're hollow without God in our hearts, but we're stuffed with sin because of that. Yeah, I think when he says stuffed men, he's talking about the people stuffed with all the bad things. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then it just... Sorry, could you repeat this? I said, like when it says the stuffed men, I think it could mean like stuffing themselves with bad things, no matter what it is. It could be something that's not good for you. It can be something that's not good for the people around you, but it's something to make you feel whole. Like Ah. sins or or stuff like that? Thank you for repeating, Ridge. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. I was elaborating. But how do y'all think, like, the imagery, like, expressed, like, the figurative language, like, how that, like, contributes? Maddie, the imagery. (laughs) (laughs) You just go call me on the I mean, you're the only one that was confused by what imagery was. Okay, so imagery is when you explain, like, as a poem, it's like setting the scene, like a setting. Uh It's like the picture that you see, that's like the imagery. Well, you know what I says, honestly saw in my head when I first read that? What'd you see? Gingerbread men. Okay. <laughs> I swear to God. Enough. Enough. Okay. Stop 90%, percent. 99% of people probably see scarecrows. You see gingerbread men. Mm-hmm. That just shows the kind of character she is. <laughs> now, she back, okay. back to the imagery. When he's, As far as imagery, it says, Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass. Well, dry. When you think of dry grass, you think of crunchy, like kind of like if you step I was on it, dying. Void of life. Dying. I was thinking death, void of life. I was thinking life. brittle. Like when you step on it, when you step on dry grass, you can hear each crunch of the dry grass breaking. 
So it's very brittle. And he says, because it's dead. And he says, when we whisper together, are are quiet and meaningless. Meaning, if we have something to say, you need to make it be known and not just speak together, but as an individual and say it loudly where people will understand you and things will, that you say will be taken seriously. Yeah, that also kind of leads back to like the idea of like there's not uniformity for like trying to stand out amongst all these people. So it's like trying to express individuality. Yeah. That's what the first part of the poem is saying. It's mm-hmm. like trying to express individuality. Do y'all see anything else that you found interesting? When he says, shape without form, shape without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Like, all of those things contradict each other. Mm -hmm. So I think what he could mean by that is how people who say they're living aren't really living. Like, they're not doing what they could be doing, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's written almost like as an analogy, and that stands out in the poem, so it's obviously meant to like have like a deeper meaning. Like, it says shape without form, and a shape becomes a form when it has, like, something to go around. Like, without that basis of something to go around, it's just a shape. It has no form. You have tissues. This might seem sort of like, it might seem a little bit like it doesn't make sense, but me, sort of like a shape that has no form, and then all the other stuff it says, those things would be useless. I think one thing might be saying is that without God, then anything you try to do will be useless because it won't work without him. So we end up going back to religious points of view. Yes. Yeah. All right, part two. All right. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams, in death's dream kingdom. These do not appear. There the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging and voices are in the wind singing. More distant and more solemn than a fading star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, rat's coat, crow skin, cross staves in a field, behaving as the wind behaves, no nearer. Not that final meeting in the twilight kingdom. Alright, discuss. What's interesting about, about this part too is there's a ton of like adjectives and figurative language that are giving like like a really clear picture of like what the speaker wants you to see. Like, the tree is swinging, the voices are in the wind singing, more distant and more solemn than a fading star. In death's dream kingdom, such deliberate disguises, rats, coats, cowskin, cross staves. That was the final meeting in the Twilight Kingdom. It really does paint a good picture for those with an imagination or just those that can picture some things in their head just by reading them. It does paint a really good picture for what he could be meaning while writing this. But, like, I think that you wouldn't actually understand what it meant until you try to dig a little deeper into it. Because mm-hmm. I'm still a little confused on some of the meaning of a few of those lines. Well, if you that. read it, it sounds like he's just talking about something that's 
desolate and void of life and any meaning. I could almost think of it as like, like an odd like portrayal of like a heaven, so to speak. Because like as like Ridge keeps like referring to religion, <clears throat> it's like a weird. It is. It's like a very because like you don't picture heaven or anything like that, but it's like a very like odd thing. See, I really just think like. What he's talking about is so dark and like just he he's making everything out to almost be meaningless. I mean it could just be a point in his life that he was going through when he wrote this being that okay. he believe that he believes that everything is just meaningless. That he and, believes that everything is dark and desolate and just dying or hollow. And there's something he's scared of because if you read the first lines where it says, Eyes I dare not meet in dreams in death's dream kingdom like when you think of dreams you don't really think about bad things unless you've had a troubled life and every dream you have is a nightmare yeah it's like he might have been tormented by certain things and he just doesn't want to face them again by going to sleep it says in this one that he doesn't want to be near death's dream kingdom so maybe there was something scaring him yeah, Thank you for repeating me. No, I said, I said you know, <laughs> used another line that says, let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. That doesn't so, fit an iPhone. I need an iPhone. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, guys, keep talking about the phone. No, no, I need my, <laughs> I need my phone, oh, Hunter. Okay, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm going to be bringing everything back to a religious point. So, what I feel like it's saying is that everything is sort of dark, meaningless, useful, and it's saying that without sin, that's how your life is going to be. I mean, with sin and without God, that's how your life is going to be. So, so long as you don't have God in your life, then even though it might not seem like it, everything you say and do is going to end up being meaningless. Because if you don't have him with you, then he's not going to look to put his spirit into anything you do and say. But, like, what constantly, like, drives you to, like, the conclusion of, like, this is God? Because, like, like, the way that he makes it sound, like, it's much more it's, dark and depressing. It's almost, yeah, that. it's almost like he's suffering from depression, and that's what he's writing from. Not really a religious standpoint. I mean, the I, only thing that points toward a religious standpoint is towards the end where he says behaving as the wind behaves no nearer not the final meeting in the twilight <laughs> kingdom but even then like I don't think you would refer to your final meeting if it was with God in the twilight kingdom you would refer to it as something better not because <clears throat> when you think twilight you think the, the day is coming to the end yeah, you dark. think dark mysterious that kind of thing so maybe at the time he that he was thinking about when he wrote this poem the time in his life that he was writing it about maybe he was without God and also and he realized afterwards after he put his heart with God that if I that if he'd stayed on that track of sin and no faith and all that sort of stuff then he would end up in hell which would be like twilight so are you that saying would, that, that like would just be, be death's kingdom, though? Yeah. It's like, that would be death's kingdom, not Twilight's kingdom. 
I would, well, think, I would think he would picture. I think he's thinking of Twilight's Kingdom in a better light than he would think of Death's Kingdom because obviously everybody is like Death is like this big gloomy shadow that's coming over you. It's like, but Twilight back when Elliot must have written this could have could have been something beautiful to them, like the Twilight, like the time of Twilight could be like when is that? Like when the sun's rising or when the sun's setting? setting? When it's setting. Sunsets are beautiful. He could be thinking the Twilight Kingdom as heaven, though. But also, like, in the Twilight Kingdom, most people refer to, like, their later years in life when they're close to dying or after their prime is over as their Twilight years, meaning their life is coming to an end. So, I don't know. I still think he's talking about death and depression, that kind of deal, and how what we're doing in life doesn't really mean anything and the people that think they mean think their lives mean something really doesn't yeah it's very I think he's depressed it's very prominent in the first two parts that he does talk a lot about depression so he must be going through a hard time when he first wrote this <clears throat> so are we ready for section three now yep all right this is the dead land this is cactus land here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand. Under the twinkle of a fading star, is it like this in death's other kingdom, waking alone at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness, lips that would kiss from prayers to broken stone? Form prayers to broken stone. And see, there it talks about again, this is a dead land, this is a cactus land, meaning there's no... Almost like there's no opportunity, and in order, like, nothing grows. But in order to grow, you have to have, like, cactuses have, you know, they have the spines that protect them from other like, animals like, and that kind of thing. So I think maybe what he's saying is... Like, certain things, only certain things thrive through these conditions. Right, so I think what he's saying is, in order to survive in a land like this, you kind of have to be prickly. That's interesting. Yeah. But like it refer like it keeps using like the very like figurative picture that he's painting for you. And like you know, like the way that poems are written, they're written in a specific way so that way um the author can get his point across in a very intricate and like delicate sense. But like what he's doing, it's very in your face. You know exactly you almost know exactly what he's talking about. Right. Like Does he's he not like cutting any corners, like So you might know what supplication means. Supplication? Somebody look that up. Because they say, here the stone images are raised, here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand. Like the imprint? Maybe. Just look up Google Dictionary. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Oh, uh, so a dead man's hand must be like coming out of his grave, like, help me. Or right before a guy dies, like begging, like, help me, I don't want to die. Yeah. It could be someone, like, on the brink of death begging, help me, or someone... Yeah, because that would mean here they receive the begging of a dead man's hand, so a dead man who... So someone who's already gone that's wishing to be saved, maybe, Mm -hmm. because if you're dead and you're begging for help, there's not really much you can do after that, so maybe saying that some people are too far gone. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like... The Bible, there's a part of it that 
basically paraphrase it, it says that there's only one unforgivable sin and that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit which is saying that if God calls you to salvation over and over again and each time you refuse then even in later in life when you try to get earn salvation or receive the gift of salvation then he'll just have had enough and he won't accept you and go put the spirit into your heart but the whole thing about God is forgiveness I know but there is one thing that if you keep refusing to accept salvation when he's called you over and over again then finally it's basically like he's saying okay I've tried and tried but your heart is just gone it's cold so there's nothing I can do for you now that's the only sin that he will never forgive so sort of like if a dead man is begging this or like dead man would be someone who has constantly refused to accept the gift of salvation then finally later in life when he can't receive it anymore he's begging for God for salvation so but technically he can't receive it so like technically in God's eyes he's a dead man already yeah I still think you're just trying too hard to bring God into it <laughs> But, like, I can see where Ridge is coming from in the whole aspect of, of be- begging from a yeah, dead, what he, from what he dead said. man's hand. It was, and he's saying that the only thing that God will not give you salvation for is if he's called upon you to have salvation, but you refuse it. It's, I can see where Ridge is coming from in that aspect of that part of the poem. Yeah, but still, I, I don't think there's enough to really talk about God necessarily. And... It's just like, because what it's saying is they received the supplication of a dead man's hand, so they're receiving the begging of someone who's dead. That doesn't necessarily mean it's someone talking about God. It could be a metaphor. Like, you could be right, but I don't know. I think it's a long shot. Um, Like, so if the poem's really based on depression, and it's kind of like going off, like, each section is like a depression of a different standard so like the first section was like a depression based on there's uniformity there's no originality anymore everybody's just the same everybody's uniform and then you go on to the second one where there's nothing to look kind of like look forward to like in the afterlife or anything like that it's just this twilight zone that you're just don't you're not aware of and then you get into this third one and it's saying how even god has like left you in a sense like that's how yeah, alone and you are that would and that would be supported by the next part where it says, is it like this in death's other kingdom walking alone? Like, mm-hmm. he feels completely alone, like right. there's no one there for him. And then at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness lips that would kiss from prayers to broken stone. Do you think that um, lips that would kiss, lips that would kiss, form prayers to broken stone? What what could that mean? Lips that would kiss, form prayers to broken stone. I think that the part where it was saying lips that would kiss, form prayers is the lips that would kiss part is I. I will bring it to the religious point of view that lips would, that would kiss would be from the sinners form prayers because everyone still sins but they still tried to pray to God 
So it would still be going back to the whole... Well, it could be saying that, like, lips that would kiss, and kiss is a form of love, form prayers, and prayers being a way to get to God, who is love. That could also mean something. Yeah. But at the same time, he feels he's completely alone. I have no idea what it was talking about when it says broken stone life. I don't know. I don't understand what it's going well, for the person either. Well, like, you know how the Ten Commandments yeah. were written in stone. Oh, yeah. And, and then if you've broken. broken those, you could say broken stone. Again, it, it's the whole sin part. It's like yeah. you have you have to sin in order to break the, the stone. commandments that are written in stone. So, so you like, think he's going back to the sins and stuff? Yeah. Possibly. But I still think all of this is still he's pro- most likely very depressed. I think he's very it. depressed and he's having trouble finding meaning in life. I think he's depressed and he's trying to like to look to God to help him get out of this tunnel that he's dug himself into. Yeah. Or he's done a lot of bad things over his lifetime, and maybe he's just why he's talking about them. Yeah, that could be it. I think we've gotten as far as we're going to get with that. Are we? <laughs> yeah. Going Let's to go to the one? next part. All right, Ridge. The eyes are not here. There are no eyes here. In this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdom. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech gathered on this beach of this human river. Sightless unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty men. This one, I feel like, has a lot of reference to the Bible, like the Valley of Dying Stars and the Hollow Valley, you could associate with like the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 11, and then the Broken Jaw of our Lost Kingdom, sort of like referring to... Their donkey jaw. Yeah. So do you think the eyes are not here, there are no eyes here, do you think he means that no one's looking out for him, nobody's watching him, no one cares what he does? Yeah, that very well could mean that. Because like earlier on in the poem, he talks about how it's desolate that there's no one there that no one's looking out that like no one's there to care everything is meaningless so I guess the eyes no one's looking part would be that no one cares what you do no one's going to pay attention to you but yeah. it talks about at the end how the eyes reappear what is we're he not there that? yet well it says sightless <laughs> unless the eyes reappear Sorry. So, so right now he's just saying he's walking blindly yeah, without, we, without something to help him get there. Yeah, and then... Like he's searching. It says, in this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech. I think he means, like, even in the company of other people, he still feels alone because no one really... If you think about it, people don't talk about anything like they should. They kind of... They don't have deep conversations anymore. They don't talk about the things that matter. Yeah. And then we get to the part where he says, sightless unless the eyes reappear. As the perpetual star, multi, what is that? Multifoliate. Multifoliate rose, death, twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty men. 
so at the end where it says the hope only of empty men that's saying that everything before that in that stanza is what the people who don't have anything in their lives they don't have a real meaning that's what they're hoping for so they want the eyes to reappear they want someone to watch them they want someone looking out for them yeah that's why I was saying it's the hope only of empty men and I just noticed something maybe by the twilight kingdom twilight since it's sort of like sunset it's sort of a limbo between day and night and if you think heaven you could represent by day and hell by night maybe it's sort of like somewhere in between yeah he's like in between and he's running out of time because twilight is sunset so it means he's he's just running out of time and he's trying to get there but he feels that no one is looking out for him I think he just desperately wants, like, a meaning to his life. Like, he really wants something to just mean something. Yeah. Not what most people nowadays see as meaning something, be it fashion or how popular they are, but something deeper than that. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to have his life have meaning again, like... Because obviously we've determined that he's depressed while he wrote this. So maybe he wasn't depressed before he wrote it. And now he's just hit a big, a big low point in his life. A big low point And he's trying to find someone to help him out of it. To find someone to look out for him. Mm-hmm. Find someone to lead him out of this low point in his life. But and even if, say, he isn't depressed, which he very well could have been, yeah. he's really talking about other people and I don't feel like you need to be depressed like this to speak about other people like to me it seems like he's noticing that other people are kind of falling off or don't have a meaning but I mean he could also go back to his life too I wonder if he's like aiming like a group of people like like atheists or like people who don't believe like the same things he does because like we know that T.S. Eliot like writes like Christian based stuff right and he said that the things that he writes should make you think of God without explicitly saying it right so like this could be portraying a character of someone who maybe was an atheist or didn't believe in it and now he's reached like this point of his life where he's kind of questioning himself. Or maybe did believe it at a time but is struggling with their faith now. Yeah. yeah so and is going being... through a low point but they still desperately want to believe that something's there but because of whatever reason they can't or they just won't yeah. and it's making them feel empty inside because they have nothing to live for. That is a very good observation right there. Good job, guys. On to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, we can be. All right. My turn. All right. Here we go round the prickly pear. Prickly pear, prickly pear. Here we go round the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. For For thine is the kingdom. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the, de- the desire and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is. For thine is thee. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. 
this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. So, okay. All right, let me go ahead and clear this up. A prickly pear, he's meaning a cactus, cactus again. Yeah, he's that's a what I was about to say. The prickly pear is the fruit that grows, or fruit, flower, whatever, that grows on the cactus, so. Yeah. So, when he's talking about prickly pear, he's talking about a cactus. And the very first stanza of this part of the thing is written sort of like a children's song. Like, like the, the Jack in the Box bush. tune. The mulberry bush, like... Round well, around the mulberry bush, the monkey Yeah, that one. But it also says we go around the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Okay, well, five o'clock in the morning was when Christ was crucified. Okay, I have looked into this part of the thing because I was like, I knew that in the morning at five a.m. Christ was crucified. I think either Christ died at five o'clock in the morning. One of the two, but I know something had to do with Christ and his crucifixion. I think it was that he died at five. I think he died at five in the morning. Yeah, maybe. So, it's, so what it is is like, I guess since they're going around the the, um, prickly pear, they're trying to figure out where they're going to go, which is why they're going round and around. And at five in the morning, they're trying to see if their religion or their beliefs hold up. Okay, well, I have something that kind of deviates from the original thought that mainly this is talking about religion. If you remember how we were talking about cactuses and you have to be prickly to grow in a a place like this, Mm -hmm. you could think that, like, maybe the cactus represents, like, maybe a business or something like that, like a big, large foundation. And possibly the prickly pears are smaller branches of the business or corporation and at five o'clock in the morning that's what time most people start to get up to go to their jobs I almost feeling like they're part of a machine which where the yeah. whole meaningless life comes from that they're just waking up to work for this big and the, corporation yeah, and the fact that it's in how it's written in the 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 um based on the children's song the mulberry bush it's going round and around clockwise but yeah, like, I would have thought the same thing had it not been for thine is the kingdom part. That is part of the Lord's Prayer. Right, well... It repeats it twice. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it could still be talking... I still think the basis of it could be mainly religion. He just maybe threw that part in there, or maybe it's a metaphor that I'm only seeing. I don't know, because I kind of believe that most people are in a sort of repetition that's meaningless working for a job that they don't want just because they make the best money there even though it makes them miserable i sort of thought that if you think about it you could sort of with that first stanza of that picture like people just sort of dancing and singing around in a circle around the cactus which if you think about it it's useless and if you picture in your mind it would sort of seem like they're making an idol out of the cactus which sort of saying like probably at that time there was a lot of people that were just idolizing things and not focusing on God. Yeah maybe because something's growing in that arid environment they think of it as an idol as a sort of God something more important than it actually is. Yeah. But I don't know if the cactus is actually like literal though. Like 
Y'all are thinking of it like very literally, like it's probably like much more like a metaphor. Yeah, this whole poem is full of metaphors. And well, like, yeah, that's what I was saying. Part, this. In the next part, it says, "Falls the shadow." It's talking about the, between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act. It's like it's it says after that is it says, falls the shadow. It's saying like in between each of those things, between this and this, there's a shadow. It means like there might be a shadow of a doubt. There might be um. A shadow of it's like the gray area that you could go in between that's like so this whole thing is made of metaphors it's all like it's just full of metaphorical devices in here too so it doesn't mean like a literal cactus it doesn't mean a literal cactus no it's not i mean i know it's not talking about a literal cactus so i mean the cactus could represent a few things it could represent an idol it could represent sin it could represent like I said, maybe a, a big business. business or something yeah. like that. And then the last stanza, to me, it's sort of talking about revelations in that part. Saying how, because it the repeats ends. the way, this is the way the world ends, and then it says it Not with ends. a name, but with a whimper. Yeah, so what I'm thinking is, sort of at the time he sees it, like there's not a whole lot of people in that time that you see that are religious and are with God. And if that was the case, that there were a lot of people that were saved and had the Spirit in their hearts, then, like, during the rapture, a lot of people would disappear at the same time. That would be the bang of, like, the whole world knowing what is going on. But at that time, probably there weren't that many people. So, let's say the rapture did happen, then there would only be a few communities that would notice that, so that would be the whimper. Yeah, but Not like people in yeah in that stanza, it was saying this is the way the world ends. It repeats it three times. In the biblical idea of that, it's there is I believe it's a quote in the Bible, and it says, "It uh, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end." But after that, it says, "Not with a bang, but with a whimper." T. S. Eliot had um heard a lecture while he was in college at Harvard from a from a person I can't remember his name, but it said, but the um, person who did the lecture stated, it all ends not with a bang, not with some casual incident, but in sustained reflection. So he's obviously influenced by things that he has heard as to what he put into this poem also. So do you think, not with a bang, but with a whimper, he couldn't also be talking about his, or someone else's, or just the world in general's depression? Because... Like, I don't know, the way he says it, not with a bang, but with a whimper, it's like sad, it's almost like, it gives a feeling of self-reflection, like people are looking at their self, becoming sad when they realize they have nothing to live for, yeah. and I don't know. It's, he talked before that whole thing. I like the way that you were going with this, but he talked before the whole thing. It was between this and this, between this and this, between this and this, falls the shadow. It could be the shadow of reflecting on what you have done because after he was saying between the emotion and the response falls the shadow, after that he says life is very long. And um, so with saying life is very long, there's always going to be that shadow where you reflect on what you have done. And then after that, he was saying between the potency and the existence. That's in Aristotelic philosophy that Aristotle had said um, 
Matter only has potency until form gives it essence. Existence, my bad. Until it gives it existence. So it's not only he's taking ideas from the Bible and he's religion, also he's taking, also taking um, a, like a philosophical philosophy. You said, who, who said that? Aristotle. So that's Eastern philosophy. There's that one, but then in the next line, he says, between the essence and the descent. That's a Platonic philosophy. Still Eastern philosophy. Yeah, it says the essence is the inapprehensible ideal which finds material expression in its descent to the lower material plane of reality. And then it says, again, falls the shadow. So there's always, it's, you could, he could have had a time in his life where he was completely religious with God, and then he could have had a time in his life where he was um, full-on philosophy. Because he went to Harvard, he had to have been a very smart man. He went to Harvard, he went to those lectures that obviously gave him ideas on all of these things. And then he could be going back to a t- back to his religious standpoints. Because that's what it falls to in the very end of the thing. Because he repeats again, for thine is the kingdom, which is again in the Lord's prayer. And then for thine is, life is, for thine is thee. Since thine is here, life is here. Thine is the, like big idea right so I think all in all what it's mainly talking about is how depression sets in why depression sets in and it's because most people don't have what they need in their life that filler to keep them going they're just empty they don't have they think they have the things that they need but they don't they have fake things, things that don't last. They have temporary things, but like they don't have items. they don't have anything eternal to keep them going for the whole time. And if people don't begin to change then the world this will the end. The world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. And the whimper could be like not just self reflection on themselves, but it could also be the um like they're struggling at the end of their life. So they're going out with a whimper. End of podcast.